Welcome to Face the Jury, a podcast dedicated to confronting the issues of medical malpractice in America, what it is, how to spot it, and how to protect you and your family from medical negligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Face the Jury. Today, I'm going to talk about one of the most important developments in medical malpractice litigation. We're going to be talking about the healthcare audit trail. I know audit trails typically sound boring and they sound like CPAs and accounting, but audit trails in the context of medical malpractice are one of the most important and exciting areas of developing the proof to establish your case. I'm going to be talking about a few specific cases where the audit trail made a particular difference in achieving a favorable outcome for our clients. So let's dive right in. What is an audit trail? And why are they so important to medical malpractice litigation? So a little bit of background. The electronic medical record, it's been in development for many decades, but about 2009, as part of the healthcare uh, reforms by President Obama, he implemented a regulation that requires most healthcare providers to develop an electronic medical record. The old-fashioned way, which people may remember, is the handwritten notes and the doctors and the nurses would write into the chart and there was a a big folder that sat on a shelf somewhere. Uh, That's how it used to be done, but now it's done through a computer. And these records, everything from vital signs, progress notes, order sets, uh, imaging studies, everything is put into the computer now. Well, part of those reforms was that the healthcare provider was required to use electronic medical record systems that allowed for the development of audit trails of the data that's being collected. So essentially, the electronic medical records create audit logs, which are used to record user activities. And then audit trails track the data stored in the audit logs over time. And this allows the healthcare provider or, in the case of litigation, uh, the plaintiff's attorney to see in great detail the specific activities of the healthcare providers in providing care to your patient. So a audit trail has key information that is essential to a case. When you're establishing a medical malpractice case, one of the most important items you have to develop as the attorney is a chronology. You have to know who's doing what and when, who's looking at the record, who's with the patient, when they're with the patient, when the doctor or the healthcare professional comes in. All these things are essential. Well, an audit trail is a document that is kept whenever a clinician interacts with the computer, which is always nowadays. Anybody who's been to the hospital lately, you know that from almost the moment you walk in, uh, somebody is entering information into a computer. Well, that's all going into an electronic medical record And every little discrete piece of evidence or or information is being collected by the computer. So an audit trail is interesting because it will show who went into the medical record, when they went into the medical record, into the computer, what they did when they got there, what did they look at, how long the clinician looked at the information in the record, where in the hospital or the facility was the clinician when they were looking at the information. Um, all of this is collected in a, in a spreadsheet format 
and it provides essential information uh, improving your case. Auto trails, I know, uh, can be somewhat intimidating to a lot of a lot of folks because they think it's outside the sort of the scope of a lawyer. You know, we deal with stories and developing themes and evidence, but audit trails are critical because they give you, they tell the story. They tell the story of the treatment. And I want to give you a few examples of where audit trails have been particularly important. Then I'll talk a little bit about how to make sure that you've got the correct audit trail um, and that you have the data you need as an attorney representing somebody in a medical malpractice case. So there are three cases I want to talk about each of which sort of shows how important audit trail data is. The first case, I'm not going to mention any names of the parties, but I'll just refer to it generally. But the first case was a case that we had up in Minnesota. My firm was invited in to help with another firm in representing a family whose mother had died from an allergic reaction to medication she had been prescribed at the hospital. The patient had gone to the hospital with non-threatening issues. She had a cough. She had some sort of non-specific symptoms, nothing acute, nothing, nothing emergent. She goes to the hospital and she's seen by the doctor. And the doctor prescribes her a certain type of an antibiotic as well as another medication, a type of a strong aspirin, basically. Well, this one was allergic to aspirin and it was in the medical record that this allergy was there. Well, they prescribed the medication the woman goes home or goes to the pharmacy on the way home, fills the prescription, goes home, and takes the medication exactly as it was prescribed. Within a very short period of time, less than an hour, her throat starts getting scratchy, and she starts having problems breathing. And her family's like, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't breathe. And her throat started closing down. And she was in developing anaphylactic shock, which is the big word for an allergic reaction. Well, her throat closed down and she collapsed on the living room floor in front of the TV and it never opened back up. And by the time the 911 got there and the first responders and they established an airway, she died of suffocation in her room, in her house, in front of her family. Horrible, horrible case. We presented a claim. We filed suit against the hospital and the healthcare providers who were involved and, of course, they defended it and said, well, yes, she was allergic, but we considered her allergy. We exercised medical judgment. We determined that it was with a risk-benefit analysis that this was okay. And we went through all this medical judgment. And it sounded fairly reasonable. They had their reasons and an explanation. Well, we requested the audit trail. And the first clue that there's something important in the audit trail is when the defense refuses to turn it over <laughs> because they, and they'll say, uh, you know, it's too burdensome or we don't keep audit trails I mean, all kinds of nonsense. I'm not saying, I don't recall if those are the specific excuses in this case, but, but it was something of a fight to get the audit trail. Uh, but we finally got it. We got it in the format that is required, which is a, what's called a delimited format. It basically means you need to get the audit trails in a spreadsheet format. Do not accept them in a PDF with tiny little print because you can't use the data. These are thousands of pages of data frequently and really important to get them in the spreadsheet, which we did. And we're going through the data and it's, it's all, it's actually very accessible. It's all chronological. So you see the date, you see the time down to the second. You can see each individual event involving that patient's care. 
during that time period. So we get down to the time period at issue. And again, the defense was we had given considered judgment and medical judgment in making this decision. Well, the audit trail told a different story. We looked at the audit trail, and it showed that from the time that the doctor first encountered the patient to when the doctor prescribed the medication, less than five seconds had gone by. I mean, she literally walked in the room, introduced herself, got a little bit of information, and said, we'll give you this prescription. Now, she had reviewed the records ahead of time is what she said. So it wasn't like she's walked in and made the decision, but she'd reviewed the records and came in within just a few seconds, prescribed this medication. We learned something else interesting in the audit trail. The audit trail showed that when the medication was put in, an alert flashed up because one of the advantages of electronic medical records is they're very good at cross-referencing data. And there was data that she was allergic. So this alert popped up and the alert was bypassed by the nurse. She just clicked through it and there's a way to bypass the alert. Well, the nurse said that she had done this after reviewing the records and making this considered judgment. Well, the audit trail showed that she blew right through the alert like it was a stop sign. She didn't even stop. She just blew right through it. So once we had this audit trail data, you know, the defenses just started melting away. They couldn't credibly stand in front of a jury and say, oh, we exercised all this judgment and, and consideration. It just wasn't true. The audit trail showed the, the truth. And the case resolved very favorably because of this, of this developed evidence. So that's one case. That's, that was the Minnesota case where it was very important with the audit trail data. Another case that the audit data proved very important was a case that actually went to trial here in Georgia. And we represented a young woman who had some pretty severe abdominal pain after some abdominal surgery, went to the hospital, and, and they admitted her. And this young woman had a requirement to use something called a BiPAP machine, which is one of these, sometimes they're called breathing machines. They basically help when people sleep to get continuous pressurized oxygen so that they can sleep better. And they literally, they'll stop breathing in their sleep. And then they'll, this is what a lot of snorers experience. They'll go, you know, they kind of wake up and then they start breathing again. They fall back asleep. They may not even know what's happening to them. But it was documented that this young woman required this machine as part of her sleeping. Now, it's not life or death, typically, if she doesn't have the machine. What changed is when she got to the hospital, they started prescribing her opioids and something called benzodiazepines, which is commonly one variety is called Xanax. And these medications tend to suppress the ability to breathe. So if you have a person who already has challenges breathing at night because of and needs BiPAP breathing support, and you add on top of that opioids and other medications that suppress your ability to breathe, you're creating a recipe for disaster, potentially. And in this case, it was very important that this woman be monitored so her oxygen levels wouldn't drop dangerously low. And if they did, the nurses could respond. Well, they never put the clip on her finger. They never monitored her oxygen, except when the nurses would do regular rounds check her oxygen, and then they would go about their business. Well, that proved to be a very bad decision because this young woman stopped breathing and was not discovered for a long period of time. And when she was discovered, she was still alive, fortunately, but her brain was, was damaged. 
severely damaged and permanently. So that developed, obviously, into a lawsuit. We get into the case. We got in a little bit late. We were invited in by another attorney who had worked the case up, and we were brought in to help finish developing the case and go to trial. And that's what we did. And we requested the audit trails. And, of course, we got the same resistance that we usually get. Well, it's it's too burdensome to produce them and blah, blah, blah. But we pushed. It doesn't take much because it's becoming more and more established that this is legitimate discovery. And we got the audit trails. Well, it was interesting because, before I tell you what the audit trails showed, it was interesting because the defense that they had developed after the lawsuit was filed and the defense we first learned of when we started taking depositions of the healthcare providers, they said, well, yes, all these things happen, but it's really the patient's fault because the nurse testified. We found her own Xanax in her bed. She had gotten out of bed, gotten into her purse, gotten her Xanax, and must have taken her own Xanax. And then they pointed to a toxicology report that was taken after all these bad events happened. And the toxicology report did, in fact, show high levels of Xanax in her system, benzodiazepine. So they had so they had a point. There's other faults and other issues, but you know, if she had overdosed on her own medication in this condition, you know, that's a that's obviously an important fact. But we got suspicious. It just seemed strange that there was no documentation in the record that that had happened. This was all something that had been presented to us after the lawsuit and once we were in discovery. There was no nurse's note. There was nothing. And the chief nurse said, if that, in fact, had happened, that's something you would expect to be documented. And she said, that's something I would have expected to remember. It would be so unusual for that to happen. So, but that was their defense. And we go charging into trial. We get the audit trail shortly before trial. Long story, but we got the audit trails in and look at them. And there were two days of data just missing, gone. And the two days of data, you literally are reading this audit trail and it goes June 12th, June 13th, June 14th, June 15th or 16th, and just two days missing. Well, it just so happened that those were the two critical days when all of the events at issue took place. And without the audit trail data, there was no way to check and see when that toxicology report was prepared, who went in there, when they went in there, all those details that would speak to the credibility or the integrity of the data. Those two days, poof, just gone. Well, we bring this up in trial, and uh, we had a very fine judge, and he told the defense, guess what? You need to bring somebody in here tomorrow to explain where all this missing data is. And it just became, you know, a three-ring circus. They brought somebody in. He couldn't explain it. He said that he had checked with an outside vendor. That, you know, there's always an outside vendor they try to point to. That check with this outside vendor, and the outside vendor suggested there may have been a power surge, which just coincidentally deleted the very two days of data for all patients in the state of Georgia who were in this healthcare system, one of the largest healthcare systems in Georgia. Jury wasn't buying it, <laughs> not very credible, but without that audit trail data to call into question the 
integrity of the of the medical records, the outcome of the case could have been very different. Now, in this particular case, we ended up with a hung jury in a mistrial, and the case later resolved. But um, from talking to the jurors afterwards, the key fact, or one of the key facts, was the audit trail data because it just doesn't lie. I mean, it's it can there can be other issues, but it's a computer. We like to call it the rise of the machines because now healthcare is more accountable because these audit trails kind of hold physicians accountable. Now, there's a whole discussion. I could do a whole separate podcast on electronic medical records and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. There's a lot of good, a lot of bad. We could talk about that. But in terms of proving your case for all the attorneys who might be listening to this podcast, the audit trail data is absolutely essential and must be um, pursued in any case where there's hospital-based medicine. And I just can't overstate that fact enough. As one last example of a case I want to tell you, uh, this was a case down in Columbus, Georgia that we tried several years ago. And again, the audit trail proved to be one of the key factors in getting a favorable outcome. This particular case, and I've talked about this on a previous podcast, this case it was the Williams versus St. Francis Hospital case. But the, one of the key issues in the case uh, was the timing of when the physician responsible for the patient's care showed up at the hospital and what he did when he got there. There were, and this was a case uh, for folks who may not have heard the other podcast. This was a case involving a lovely woman who had neck surgery. Um, she had a what's called a fusion surgery in her, in her neck, the bones in her neck. She developed a post-surgical hematoma. In other words, she developed a big blood clot in her neck, and that's very dangerous because that can squeeze off your windpipe and cause suffocation. And she showed up at the hospital um, having swelling in her neck, started developing difficulty breathing, and the issue was the doctor responsible for her care, who was on call, didn't come to see her for almost seven hours after she was admitted to the hospital. Really, just a tragic case. And as a result, she ended up losing her airway, becoming suffocated, and again, suffering brain damage. But one of the issues in the case were these x-rays that were taken when she was first admitted. And the x-rays showed this abnormal swelling in her neck and her airway being compressed. Very important, very uh, concerning x-rays. And the doctor responsible for her care claims that when he got to the hospital, he opened up the computer and he looked at the x-rays and reviewed them. Well, part of the audit trail, part of the electronic medical record is something called a PACS system. It's just an abbreviation for the imaging studies that are kept in the computers. This is where all the x-rays are kept, CTs, MRI, the images are kept, reports are kept, other relevant things relevant to all the imaging studies. Well, the PAC system as part of the electronic medical record. It creates its own separate audit trail. Plaintiff's lawyers, particularly who are listening to this, need to be aware that there's more than one audit trail. There's an audit trail for inpatient. There can be an audit trail specific to the emergency department, and there can be a, and there is a separate audit trail specific to the imaging studies, the so-called PACS system. It stands for Picture Archiving 
and communication system. Well, we got the audit trail of the PAC system, and it's very easy to read. It's actually easier than some of the other ones, but it just very clearly lays out in date and time down to the second who looked at these imaging studies, how long they looked at them, what they did with them, if anything. Maybe they sent them to somebody else or whatever. We pulled it up, and we saw that the first time this particular doctor looked at the imaging studies was the following day after the patient had had her terrible outcome. He had never looked at him when he arrived at the hospital like he claimed he did. Just made it up. His excuse at trial was that the computer must be wrong. <laughs> I mean, the computer made a mistake, and nobody believes that. And, the, you know, the jury's rolling their eyes at this point, and, you know, the witness's credibility is going down the tubes. So the three examples of why audit trails are so important. Now, a lot of folks will, uh, who I've talked to about audit trails, say, well, it's you know, it's too complicated. You'd have to get experts involved. And that's partly true. Um, sometimes you do need to get an expert involved. And there's some very good experts with specific expertise in the variety of electronic medical record systems because they're different types of systems. Epic is one that's very common. Seems like it's probably the leader in the industry. Cerner's another one. There's several. But there's specific experts many of whom used to work for the companies that have developed these audit trails. And you can retain these experts, and they'll, they'll do more advanced data mining. But one thing they're very good at is they're good at data visualization. So you may have the audit trail, but you need to be able to show what you need to show to the jury. And you can't just put up a 20,000-page spreadsheet and point stuff out. It's physically practically very difficult to do that. But these experts can pull out the parts of the data that tell the story and put it in a nice board or a slide, you know, so you can you can understand the point that you're trying to, you know, the jury can understand the point you're trying to make and see how it's connected to the audit trail. So my advice to anybody who's involved in medical malpractice litigation, any plaintiff's attorney who takes on these cases, uh, they are complex cases. They can be complicated, particularly the medicine but our job is to simplify the case and to get to the truth of what happened. And sometimes that we, when we learn the truth of what happened, we conclude that there's no negligence that's happened on a few occasions. We'll get involved in a case. Uh, now, we always review our cases and have them vetted in great detail before we ever file. There's been a number of cases where we've gotten into it and we learned that one of the doctors we believed was negligent going into the case turns out that, you know, the doctor's not negligent or, or they were negligent, but it was too late to do any, to make a difference. So then, in other words, there was no causation. But these cases are complicated and involved, but an audit trail is as essential to developing the case as getting the medical records in the first place. These are, we look at these as an extension of the medical records and very important for establishing, establishing the case. So, Thank you for listening today on Face the Jury. Thank you for uh, your attention. And there are a lot of resources about audit trails online. And for all those practitioners out there, be sure to get them, be sure to understand them, and be sure to get the help you need if you're not able to do those things because your client's case depend on it. So thank you very much. Uh, until next time. <music>